And um, yeah, you can take your Bible and go to Matthew 5. Uh, we're in the sermon series in Matthew. Oh, we forgot to turn on. Um, and, and we'll continue there. Uh, we, I've, I titled it, uh, You've Heard It Said, Part 2. Uh, so we have uh, we have four more statements from Jesus in this uh, in this exchange where he teaches, and he last week we talked about um, murder and adultery, and what's the root behind those things? It's like really anger and lust, and he tightens up the law and talks about how the law was there to bring good to relationships not to have them break down. And Jesus was talking way more about what goes on in our hearts and in our minds than what just comes out in physical action. So he, he was talking about how it, that most people knew that they weren't supposed to murder, but he was saying, well, anger and hatred of other people, that's the feeling that starts and could, in principle, lead to murder. And so he said, like, even if you do that, you are liable to go to hell. And then he continued the last time and said, well, you're talking about, you've heard you shouldn't commit adultery. And then he says, yeah, but if you lust after people, you're doing the same thing. So he was tightening up the, he was tightening up the commandments and getting at what was the law really there for. It wasn't just to obey the letter and say, oh, I'm better than everybody else. But then the thoughts and ideas were not following the law. So today we, we, uh, we're going to do Matthew 5, 31 through 48, and we have four more sayings, the same, where Jesus is not contradiction, contradicting the law, but he's explaining what was the purpose behind the law what's the heart motivation behind the law and we talked about it was not about just obeying outwardly but it was actually believing that the Lord had given a good and right law for his glory and for the flourishing of people um, and so Jesus is in, he's correcting their misuse of the law and whatever they added to the law and going at what is really the point? So, yeah, now we'll, we'll read together and then we'll get back into it. And, and I was just saying with Paul, I was like, <laughs> the salt and light, ver- the salt and light uh, sermon was so easy. I was just like, this is so great. Yesterday and today is like, ah, man, this is a lot of correcting of our minds and hearts. Like, this is a lot harder. <laughs> so bear with me. You're, you might be corrected today. Or you might be very challenged today. Let's let's go. That's why when people say, "Oh, Jesus is so nice," have you ever heard what he says? Like, oh, but it doesn't matter. Um, but uh, but we'll we'll go ahead and read. Yes, that's incorrect. Sorry. Yes, uh, sorry about that. That is a. Uh, make it, you can see I've used the same slide, but I forgot to correct the <laughs> the, the one. But Lee is very observant. Yes, so thirty-one through forty-eight. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. 
But I say to you that anyone who divorces his wife except on the grounds of sexual immorality makes her commit adultery and whoever marries her, a divorced woman, commits adultery. Then we started. Again, you've heard it said that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but you shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is the footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let whatever you say be simply yes or no. Anything else than that comes from evil. You've all, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you. And do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of the Father who is in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward would you have? Do not even tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. Therefore, must you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is the word of the Lord. All right, so we have to be perfect. Okay, well, uh, that's why it's a totally easy sermon. Um, all right. So we start out with Jesus talking about divorce. Now, if you read different commentaries and different schools of thought and what has has the institution of marriage at this point have to endure, there are some difference of the Jews where some are like, if you if you find anything with your wife that you like, then you can just divorce her. Like if she cooks a bad meal or anything. And then there was a more stricter one that didn't allow as much. But Jesus is definitely confronting this weird notion that marriage was about you finding fault with the other one. That was not why the law was there. The law was not there so a husband would find fault with his wife when she wasn't pleasing so he could get rid of her. That was never the intent of the law. And so we see how Jesus is is is, is opposing this again like with uh, with the other laws like he was not so that you could break relationships. You weren't supposed to start a relationship with somebody that was supposed to last 
and then start looking for things that you would say would institute something so you could break it off. That was never the intent of the law. So Jesus, he goes hard after these people, and it is it is must be it must be common in this point that at this point that this is actually real. And Jesus, he goes at it again. And he said, "Like, why is it that you're trying to find fault and find reasons for a divorce?" What does that say about your heart? Why did you get married at all? If this was the way you viewed what marriage was. That when the person doesn't find favor in your eyes, you would just get rid of them. It means you're just having a relationship with somebody where you are intending to find fault. So you can get out of it. But what about us? Is it... If you are married, or if you are not married, is it a lot easier to find fault with people than it is to give thanks for all the things that they do that bless us? So in this case, and with any other case, we've talked about it many times, I do it at Thanksgiving also, that giving thanks is the antidote of many grumblings and us wanting to find fault with us. That we live in the mercy that Jesus has given us. So Jesus here is trying to get at the heart of this misuse of the law and say, why did you get married at all? Why do you marry? And why do you seek divorce? In this case, and at this time, it's mostly aimed at the men. Because Jesus is trying to prevent abuse of women. It's in a time where this would leave the woman vulnerable and she would be shamed by the culture because somebody would think, well, she got divorced. There must be something wrong with her. She would have no income and if she was lucky she could go back to her family of origin. So Jesus is entering into this trying to correct this. Trying to correct abuse and broken relationships. And he goes hard at them and say, hey, you got to look at this all the way all around. Instead of you trying to find fault And why are you even doing that? And then he tightens it up and he he says, like, if this is what you're doing, you're making your wife commit adultery. It's not her fault that you don't find, that she doesn't find favor in your eyes. You force her into adultery. She tries to stop people. It's like, how about you look in the mirror 
and think again before you start finding about reasons you should uh, divorce your wife. And why did you get married in the beginning? I know this is a lot more complex. Maybe it was uh, families that decided who got married to who. But this doesn't matter. It seems to go against ungrateful husbands who then force their wives to commit adultery as they find reasons to divorce. But they didn't take the responsibility to care and love their wife well. Instead, they are busy finding faults to get out of the relationship. And again, we have to look at ourselves. What do I do? Am I more prone to find fault or see the many blessings? So Jesus is trying to protect women from abuse and the threat of being divorced and to be left with no income in public shame and guilt. For us today, we've got to ask ourselves the question, if you are married, why did you get married? Do you understand that it's a lifetime commitment in ups and downs, knowing when you go into it that you will fail and your wife will fail? Or your spouse would fail. The only one who's going to be fully, uh, <laughs> fully not failing, is God. Do you know that when you go into it? Do you know that your spouse will never fulfill you? Only Jesus can fulfill you. If you are considering marriage, understand what it is and understand what it isn't. So when you find out that it's not what you thought it was, that you don't just bail on it. We're going to talk about divorce again later. And Jesus said it's only because you have hard hearts or else this command was never given. Not because you could find whatever reason you wanted to divorce. Jesus is trying to protect women and men from getting divorced when we don't feel like we get what we want. And this is also, like, I have to say this also, this is never an endorsement to stay in an abusive, violent relationship. So if you're out there in here, seek help. Jesus is never laying burdens on us that are harder. He's trying to prevent abuse. What's the hot motivation? Why do you get married? Why do you want to get divorced? It flows out of the other things he said. Is it about anger? Is it about lust? You would rather have sex with your neighbor's uh, husband or wife. That's why you want to get divorced. Your husband or wife didn't live up to your standards. 
but then why on earth did they marry in the beginning? Because Paul talks in Ephesians 5 about what the marriage looks like. And it's nothing, it's nothing like, oh, if you don't feel like it, then you just get divorced. Husband, love your wife for Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that she might sanctify it, cleansed by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle in such thing. And she might be holy without blemish. In the same way, a husband should love their wives that they love their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. And then he goes a little bit in it down. Therefore, and this goes back to the, the beginning. Therefore, a man shall leave his wife, uh, uh, father and mother, and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And Jesus, uh, Paul Titus says, this is mystery. It's profound, and I'm talking, and I'm referring to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Can you see how far that is from finding fault and looking for divorce? You know, the husbands are to love their wives like Christ loved the church, not finding fault so they can divorce. So instead, be like Christ to your wife, and the wife is to submit to husband. And why would that, why, when we talk about submitting, oh, we don't want to submit? Hey, guys. Well, if your husband acts like Christ, it shouldn't be that hard. I know, I'm not, I try, I'm not Jesus at all. But that's the call for us, to be for our wives. And we look to Jesus who gives up his own life to serve the church. That's the call for us, to come and die so we can live for Christ, for the glory of Jesus and the good of others. Now we're going to talk about swearing oaths. I was like, whew. I don't know. It's, for me, it was, okay. Uh, all right. Well, let's talk about swearing oaths. Okay, so what are we talking about? Are we talking about lying? Are we talking about, like, I think of Jesus, he's going at, Again, he's going at the heart of the people who continue to say, oh, I will, on the head of my mother's grave or, or on the gold of the temple or on the whatever, s- somehow distancing oneself in heart and mind and promise to do something that maybe we don't even want to do. So he's going at the Pharisees who would have this tradition to say like, well, I will promise something. And he's like, how about you just do it? So for us, it's like, (laughs) I guess for us, it's like, how do we use our words? Uh, Sometimes, (laughs) sometimes if somebody wants to sell you something, I want to tell you something, if they use more and more words, more and more and more and more and more words, you're like at some point you're gonna be like, 
what, what is going on here? Like, why is this person using so many words? Do we use our words to stri- trick other people or even trick ourselves? Sometimes I've heard some people say, like, if this happens, then I run naked over the bridge. Like, why? First of all, <laughs> that seems uh, stupid in all sorts of aspects. And the thing happened. I don't know if the person ran naked over a bridge, but the, the, it actually happened. Because they were, they were going in a hasty promise. And hasty promises and statements that are like, you haven't really thought it through. And also, is it just a way to get out of it, you know? I was like, I will promise these, I will give her oath to do this, do this, do this, do this. Am I trying to convince myself to do it? It's like you can commit, like, preferably you're thinking about giving to different causes, giving to the church, different things. Like, will you tell everybody, I will commit to give this? Or will you just do it? Why don't you just let your yes be a yes and your no be a no? And it's like, okay, when you say it like that, it's so easy. Yeah, yeah, but maybe when you're in the conversation, it gets a little bit harder. Somebody's asking, hey, do you want to help with moving? Like, no. But you say, yeah, yeah, of course. I just can't make it that day. Or, of course I'll be there. And then I won't be there. Or, or, or you come with some elaborate explanation. Or you're, maybe you're even asking church to serve and you're like, yes, of course, of course. I, I, yeah, of course. Yeah, I want to do that. I, I'm going to make food. Maybe at some point. All right. I, I, like, it, it becomes trickier when we get into situations where we're like, yeah, I, I actually I feel like I should do this. But I also know I'm actually really not going to do it. So it's better to not to commit to something or not say something. Just let your yes be a yes and your no be a no. Now these ones, depending on your background, they might sting a little bit. So some Christians would say, hey, I'll pray for you. But did you? We say, oh, the Lord be with you as they go. Did you mean that? I learned this one under Corona <laughs> way, wasn't it? <laughs> Before I didn't really say it because I didn't really understand it. If the Lord wills, I will see you on Wednesday. I thought it was very, <laughs> I thought it was very, very uh, religious and kind of like, but during Corona, it was all of a sudden like, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to see you if everything shuts down. Taking into account, like, how do you use words and with what purpose? Are you trying to trick others? Or are you trying to trick yourself? Are you speaking the truth that's plain for yourself and for other people? So you're not tricking yourself and you're not tricking other people. And just like Jesus says, like, you have no power over your hair. You can't trick it the other way. You don't have power over different cities. You don't have power over many things. You can't swear on other people's lives because they're not yours and so on. 
many things you don't have power to impart those things anyway. Different religions, religious affiliations, they have uh, brought doctrine out of these things that they will never sign a pledge or they don't want different things. That's how they interpreted these parts of not taking oaths. I'm not sure that's the point, but they try to honor the, the power. Okay. It, this is very interesting because by the... <laughs> By the providence of God, I'm reading through the Old Testament at the same same time. So I'm reading these passages from Leviticus and Deuteronomy as well. And when Jesus brings these things up and you read the things behind that is many times it is not the intention. It is not the intention at all. And then the sixth, and, the, and this one also. Like you have said it, you have, you have heard it said, an eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. When that is stated, it is what should happen as a correction in the court of law. Not that you and your own uh, way and will will judge yourself and do it. So the intention is never that your heart and mind should be so focused in on retaliate other people. That that's not. That it is to yes, it is to create a system of law, but it's not so that you, in your own mind, can retaliate to wherever, whoever you want. That, that, that's not the intention. It wasn't a punishment that could be ca- carried out. But I think Jesus is trying to, re- again, address how do you, we relate to one another? Is it, I want to physically hurt that person? And if I can't, and so in, in 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 this particular time now, the Jews have been occupied by different people, the Greeks, and now it's the Romans. So they can't really kill the Roman soldiers, but they can hate them fiercely in their hearts and in their minds. And so they would be like, well, if that guy struck me, I, in the power of God, I am allowed to strike him back. Jesus talks about turning the other cheek. We talked about this earlier. It's the power of meekness, not weakness. Sometimes the weakest people will retaliate. The strongest people will take a slap to the other, to the other cheek. I remember this Chinese pastor who got beaten in the street, thrown in prison. And then when people in the prison became Christians, he got thrown out again because it was really annoying that <laughs> that they would become Christians. But they didn't know what to do with him. Just like, they couldn't beat him so he would stop. Sometimes the one who is very meek can show how the powerful has no power at all. Because if they can't beat you into submission, they have no power at all.
Jesus showed in his death. He let himself be killed. He could have stopped it all at any point. He showed that evil had absolutely no power over him. We see it through his life as well. When he rocks around, he talks to people. And Jesus is asking people to do the same. How about you stop picking a fight every time somebody disagrees with you? And he's even, he goes, he is like, it's, it, it, I think it's difficult for us. If you have a righteous bend and you like, somebody sues you and they take your clothes, then give them also their jacket. I was like, but what, what, what? It's because it was never about the clothes. Why are people sued? Because of breakdown of relationships. And he says again, like if somebody forces you to walk with them, instead of go just doing the minimum, do the double. This is all about being lights and salt in the world. Do what they don't expect. The person that hates you at your job, the person that hates you in your group, what happens if you're kind to them? It's confusing for them. How are they supposed to react? Jesus is saying, be different. Be salt and light. He also said, give to the one who begs. Don't refuse the one who would borrow. And we're like, but what about, they will take advantage of us. We were and are poor and needy and we are God's people begging for his mercy. He showed us mercy. How can we show mercy on others? All we have is the Lord's. How can we steward it well? To show his love and his grace that we've gotten from Jesus. And then he tops it off. He tops it off with Jesus as he goes and he, he's, not letting, he's not letting the hold off. I was like, okay, we'll do that. So he's not letting go. Love your enemies. Ah, oh, man, Jesus. You said you should, you heard it said, you should love your neighbor, you should hate your enemies. Uh, something I learned this time is that nowhere, nowhere in the Old Testament does it say to hate your enemies. There's a popular slogan which is here today as well. Uh, it's challenging. Because in each of our cultures, there's another country, if we look back in history, that's our enemy. Maybe it's long ago and it's not really important anymore. Denmark had Sweden, then everybody hated Germany for many years. Romania, Hungary, their relationships. And look today. Very relevant. Russian, Ukraine. It's a very easy slogan. Hate your enemy. Well, isn't the point of Jesus' parable of the pro- of the the guy who gets hurt? What is it called? The Good Samaritan. The Samaritan was the evil one. He was the enemy. To love your enemies. 
like, Jesus is like, what are you talking about? Like, why, why are you asking us to do this? Pray for your enemies. Pray for reconciliation. The goal is not to destroy us, but all those people will be reconciled. We had a good talk at home. People were like, <laughs> uh, like, who is our enemy? I was like, we have, like, you know, super villains. They have super, a, they have, like, the super enemy. So maybe it's a little more blurry. And our kids are like, they grow up in church. Like, it's the devil that's the enemy. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, like, maybe that's not exactly what Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about people. So who's your enemy? I think sometimes some of it is somebody who just hates us at work. We haven't done anything wrong. It's a person in school who just doesn't like you. It's a people who treat you bad for one reason or another. But if we maybe we have to tighten it a little bit and be like, well, and maybe we wouldn't say this, but in principle, anyone who stands in the way of what we want is really our enemy because they're in the way. So it's easy that somebody can easily become an enemy if somebody gets in the way of what we want. Very easily illustrated in traffic. Maybe that's also why our kids or our wives or husbands easily can come become our enemies because they're standing in the way of what we want to do. Now if it's not that and if it's more like Martha talked about earlier Maybe they're not really enemies, but they're people we don't know. Maybe they are enemies and they're treating us unreasonably. They're really bad people and they're really annoying and they're bad to us and other people. Do you find it easy to pray for those people? I don't. But sometimes, when I wrestle with Jesus a little bit, and I hope they don't watch online, but we have some people that we work for sometimes that sometimes I really have a hard time with. And I was like, I don't want to pray for these people. And I try, you know, half-heartedly. But then I look at their lives. I see they don't really have much friends. Their hearts are hard they're lost they're poor even though they could be really rich if I don't pray who will if you don't pray who will change it's not easy but it's a call from Jesus if we don't pray for people we see as enemies how will they change <laughs> like sometimes we don't like politicians 
if we don't pray for them, how will they change? Sometimes maybe I'm throwing it out there. Sometimes I'm <laughs> we're annoyed with the school administration, maybe hypothetically. But if I'm not praying for them, how would they change? Maybe you think your boss is is not very nice. How would they change if we don't pray? And Jesus is clear. That's the only option. The option is you're supposed to we're, we're supposed to pray for them. And he goes back to like what state were you in? We were in the same state as the people we think are not worthy. It's the same place we were at. Poor and needy. And God in his mercy gave us sun and rain. Not only this that he gave us his son. That we can be reconciled to him. And if we've got that much grace and mercy, should it not make us, if not easy, then at least see how needy we were to motivate us to pray for the people that are against us. Because praise God for how he found us far from him and he gave us all these blessings. He calls us now to be salt and light in this world to give a different taste to the world and then it just doesn't become easier, you know. <laughs> we go to the last verse and Jesus is just like, he's tightening up and he's tightening up and he's tightening up and he's, he ends up in a place where most of us are highly uncomfortable and even our culture is uncomfortable because Jesus says, you shall be perfect. Culture says nobody's perfect and they are correct. Except Jesus. But Jesus calls us to be perfect. So we're like, Jesus... Uh, like uh, it's been a conversation with Jesus this whole sermon series trying to not saying he's wrong just saying it's hard to hear what he's saying and so he's saying here you need to be perfect hmm hmm he's inviting us into life He's inviting us to the first part that Vivi's Vivi's father said in the first sermon. He's inviting us to see that we are not perfect. We weren't perfect. We have a strong need for Jesus. We saw we weren't good enough. And therefore we came to see who Jesus was. In our culture there's this myth of it's very strange, and this is my perception of culture, but there's this mix of, uh, what do you call it, self-esteem, and all the worst, the, and there's like lots of depression and sadness, and, and so there's this kind of a notion that somehow you can be good enough. Like if you just have enough self-esteem, or if we just tell you you're good enough, then you're good enough. This just shows it doesn't work. Because most people aren't good enough. Or we aren't good enough. 
And most people get burned out on that because it's a different form of works righteousness. When people continue to say, you're good enough, you'll make it. And you, you don't. But you still feel totally lost. And then Jesus just says, good enough isn't enough. You're supposed to be perfect. Because perfection gives freedom. Not being good enough just shows that you trust in your own righteousness to be good enough. And you cannot be your own savior. It's a work-based system that we have in our cultures where like, no, I'm just, just going to improve and be better. I'm going to be the best version of myself. Yeah, that's just not good enough. No, the freedom is, Jesus is saying, I am perfect. I am good enough. Therefore, that you, when you've understood that you need me, you saw it from your sin, you reconciled to me, to my Father. My Father can see you as perfect. That's where perfection comes from. Peter also picks it up in First Peter, and he just he says the same. Like you need to be, you need to you need to be perfect. And he uh, let's take it. It's a beautiful, it's a beautiful, beautiful passage. Because um, he also says why. He also says why can we be perfect? One fourteen. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him who, as father who justice impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourself with fear throughout your time of exile, knowing that you were ransomed from your full futile ways inherited from your forefathers not with perishable things such as gold or silver but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ like that of the lamb without blood blemish or spot so through Christ we can be perfect not in our own way so Jesus is asking us although his words seem so hard he's asking us into freedom in him be perfect that's the standard not in your own works but in my works and that points just back to the beginning and it's like oh man this is a difficult this is difficult well then it's good Paul he reminds us later on this is a process and it will be brought to perfection. I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It's going to take a while, well, depending on when Jesus comes back, but God will continue to work in us, sanctifying us, making us more like Jesus. So we don't stand in perfection by ourselves, but we do through who Jesus is. To sum it all up, God's commands are good. They are for worship. They are for relationship. 
but they became a way to justify the people themselves against other people say, oh, those people are bad. But the law was never intended to be that way. The law was there to protect. And ultimately, as Paul says, to show we couldn't do it. So we needed Jesus as our perfection. The question is, do we know God or do we just do religious deeds because you grew up it or we use God's law to prove that we're better than other people? But that's not how it's supposed to be. Jesus, he comes and he reconciles us to God the Father. So we are called to go and be salt and light and reconcile people that's why he goes after it. Why do you look for fault? Why do you swear? Well, how about you instead pray for your enemies instead of seeking retaliation? Because how will people change if they're not prayed for and cared for? Why? Because I did that for you. I showed you love and mercy. So you would be able to come to the Father. Now I ask you to go and be the same. And so that's what we're asked to do. We won't do it perfectly. But as Tarika said earlier, and quoting John, First John, we can confess our sins and he will forgive us. And we're seen as as perfect through what Jesus has done, not by our own works. Praise the Lord. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this time. Jesus, thank you for your good words. Thank you that they are what we need. Thank you. <laughs> thank you that sometimes we have to wrestle to understand what are you saying. Thank you that all you have is to lead us through Lead us to freedom and joy in who you are. Heavenly Father, we want to come before you and say thank you. Thank you for your grace, your mercy, your kindness, your goodness towards us. You give us rain and you gave us sun. And oh, praise the Lord. God, you've given us 12 hours again of day. <laughs> um, you give us so many great things. Lord, we praise you and thank you for it. Lord, give us boldness and strength to live into the things that you call us to do in the place that we are. Give us boldness and strength to pray and love our neighbors, all of them, also the ones that seem to be enemies at some point. May it be for your glory and your honor, for the good of the people. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. And so you may stand up for the benediction. We have from Jude. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God and our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. We have a great week this week and don't run away.
Andreas made food. Uh, Bibi. Bibi. Somebody, somebody made food. So, so it's still.